Athletic. All right, Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Liverpool man to keep the Wolves from the door, Barani Just in the FA Cup. We'll get into Cody Gakpo's debut, Mateus Nunes showing up on his Anfield audition before we assess what midfield options could appeal to Jürgen Klopp this month. To do that, we have James Pearce, Kiva O'Neill and Andy Jones here with me. But first of all, I want your three-word reviews of the weekend's cup tie with Wolves. We'll start with you, James. Disjointed, fragile, lucky. Kiva? Quite enjoyed it. <laughs> Andy? Uh, barely won again. <laughs> no, but but actually I'd, I'd go just boot it because I still can't understand what Alison was thinking. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah, that was outrageous. And for me, one down again. You know, are they ever going to get the, the lead, the first goal? I mean... All given away by Alisson, and Wolves have scored. Guedes with the softest of opening goals. Alisson losing focus, losing concentration, losing the ball, and gifting a goal. Another January, another crisis. James, what's your view of it all? It just feels like they're stuck in a bit of a rut at the moment, and I, I, I can't say I particularly enjoyed... Saturday night. The worrying thing for me is when you when you look at the numbers since the season restarted. What was it five games in all comps, ten scored, ten conceded? That kind of tells you everything you need to know about you know the the fact that you know Liverpool might still pack a punch at one end, but they just can't keep them out at the other. And again, it was far too open. And the context is important. The fact that you know Klopp went as strong as he possibly could. You know, one of the strongest teams he's probably ever fielded in one of the earlier rounds of the, of the FA Cup when you think of some of the teams he's put out. Wolves made nine changes because they've got bigger fish to fry with their battle to try and avoid relegation. Yeah, I thought Liverpool, on the balance of the 90 minutes, were fortunate to still be in the FA Cup come late Saturday night because um, yeah, they, 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 I, mean, I mentioned the word fragile before and that, that's what it just feels like to me. I thought they started the game really well. And then as soon as Alisson made that, you know, inexplicable blunder and gift wrapped them the opener, it, it just felt like they fell to pieces and they could easily have gone two or three down. Ultimately, it was probably one of the most scarcely deserved equalisers I've ever seen, that one just before the break and out of keeping with everything we'd seen before because it was a piece of brilliance from Trent and a, you know, and a, a clinical finish from Darwin Nunes. Who, you know, we really needed a moment like that. And then even at 2-1 in the second half, you think, you know, can they now exert some control and the answer was no still far too open and and paid the price Kiva the ghost of Carius was there in front of the cop wasn't he you know Alisson what's going on with him I think he's had a really good season he just had one of those sort of games didn't he that that can happen I remember was it against Leicester not long ago when he sort of made two two errors I think when he makes one he tends to make another if he doesn't get over the first one, he'll make one soon after quite quickly. It just seems to be that's, you know, a goalkeeper thing, if anything. I think he's been, you know, said recently on the podcast, he's been one of Liverpool's best players this season. But yeah, it's probably better for him to have an off game in the FA Cup against Wolves and Liverpool somehow managed to you know, get a replay than, you know, him do it in the league when it matters a little bit more. Well, yeah. And you know what? The thing that has always been great about the Klopp teams 
has been the spine of the team, you know, from Salah up front, the midfield doing their thing, you know, Van Dijk in centre half, and then Allison. And the spine looks a bit, um, oh, I don't know. It looks in need of need of serious work, doesn't it, at the moment? Yeah, it needs it needs an operation, doesn't it? Um, right. I know the clock talked about sort of that it's not a midfield problem and it's it, it's a team problem that that Liverpool have got, but the, the lack of anticipation from the from the midfield to sort of sense what might be coming and that that seems to be the root of, of a lot of the problems and that teams are on the front foot against Liverpool and Liverpool are now very much feel like a back foot team and are reacting rather than being proactive. And that's what I thought Wolves were. Wolves were just sharper. They were they were looking to to get onto that second ball. They were trying to anticipate where it was going to go. And you know the, the second goal is is a big sort of clear point to that. I mean I don't know where Liverpool's midfield really is for when Huang just gets it in the you know turns with 30 yards from goal with no one near him. You know, that that's the thing and the miss in the spine, effectively. You know, you haven't got Van Dyke. Allison, you know, throws in a performance which is quite rare, but still it just feels like these mistakes are just manifesting themselves throughout the team. Just before that Thiago decides to do some <laughs> some step over or or whatever it was, um, not far outside his box to concede possession in the first place to get to that point. And it's just that sort of that fuzzy brain that everyone seems to be having at the moment, and and it's not, and and the spine is is, is part of that, um, and and that's why, you know, that Liverpool are having so many of these problems. James VAR was our friend, wasn't it? <laughs> it? It really was, yeah, and um, yeah, but obviously Liverpool did have one similar actually to that disallowed late Wolves goal. I think there was one at Arsenal, wasn't there, earlier in the season where they didn't have a a definitive camera view. And yeah, it's odd because you just assume in this day and age with, with so many cameras that they've got every every inch of, of grass covered. But um, yeah, that was a huge let off. I must admit, I didn't, you know, one of those ones where when it, the, it initially goes in, you think to yourself, well, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And then I think there was obviously that I think the, the assistant had given it because he felt that uh, Mateus Nunes was offside when the ball went back out to him after he'd taken the corner. But yeah, when you look at some of the still images, yeah, I think even Klopp's comments afterwards, I think he knew Liverpool had, had massively got away with one there. I think I think the one earlier on that obviously you know triggered a lot of debate as well. I think I've got a lot of sympathy for people who scratch their heads and say, well, how on earth can Mo Salah be onside? But you know that that is essentially that was the correct interpretation of the offside rule, uh, law, and I think it's the law that's wrong. I mean, I I, I never understand hmm. that in this. It just doesn't make any sense to me because if, if Salah's not behind him, he doesn't try to head the ball. But by getting a touch on it, he inadvertently plays Salah on side and he's able to to tuck it away. Two slices of luck, although, uh, yeah, I think it's important to say the first one was actually the officials interpreting the law correctly. It's just you could question the, the common sense of, of that law itself. And then, yeah, the last one is just... Just a bit freaky, isn't it? With the fact that they they couldn't find an angle that definitively disproved the assistant's initial call, so they went with the on-field decision. Yeah, it's mad. The laws are nass, clearly. But let's talk about some good things. I mean, I thought um, Darwin Nunes' goal was brilliant. Uh, the best thing Liverpool can do is bypass the midfield, which Trent did. Fantastic. Unfortunately, um, they're easily bypassed by the opposition, but that's something we'll talk about later. But... You, you know, what a goal it was. And Kiva, I just thought, you know, if anyone needed a goal like that, it was Darwin and a fantastic 
Yeah, and who needed an assist like that? Probably Trent. I know he's been down on mm. his assist this season. And like I was at the game, I said quite enjoyed it, by the way, because I went with my mom and absolutely just a wholesome night at Anfield, met up with some family over from Ireland as well. So sometimes as much as we like, you know, look at the midfield and all that, I was just having a great time with my mom, you know, singing You Never Walk Alone and meeting them for a bevy after my family. But Dry Jan has uh, been been difficult going, going the pub after the game or before it and doing Dry Jan, I tell you. But... I always say that if if going the match was just about the match, I would have stopped going when I was about 10. It's about going with your family, seeing your mates and, you know, and everything else. And that's what makes football weird. And in many ways, I look at all the hand-wringing that goes on online and, you know, people, they're devastated because we drew in the FA Cup. And you think to yourself, if you go to the match, you, you come out, you've had a great laugh, and it's less of a, a body blow, you know, when they lose or draw. I think I needed that, yeah. Like, going the match for me has always been, you know, with friends or family or on my own, and you just take out what you, you know, you get your enjoyment out of it that way. So I feel like it was a nice sort of tonic in a way just to do that and, you know, not worry about too much about the performance and things happening on the pitch other than, you know, seeing magic in that pass and that finish and, you know, getting to see my mum see Salah score and that kind of thing was was really nice. But for Trent's pass, I was like, I don't know if you felt this way, but I was like, sure, he's going to run it a little bit more. But he literally, I think his first touch is off his head or his chest, isn't it? And then his second touch is the pass. And it just, that is remarkable. And obviously, Darwin Nunez does a, an amazing job of finishing it. He's definitely got that in his locker. Absolutely love his celebration. Thought that was awesome. He's just like pointing at his head and just doing mad stuff and just running <laughs> even more than he'd ran before the goal for the celebration. I think we're going to see a lot more of that from him. And you can see it just feeds into his his belief in himself every time he scores and every time something goes right for him. And obviously the opposite effect can happen when something goes wrong. So it's great to see things going right for him. James, Cody Gakpo, what did you make of his debut? I thought there was a lot of promise there. He faded in the second half, which I thought was you know completely understandable for someone who um, he'd only had three full sessions with, with Klopp's squad, having had to wait for all the paperwork to get completed. There was plenty to be enthusiastic about, I thought he linked up well at times with Andy Robertson down that left-hand side. You know, he didn't really have too many sniffs of goal, did he? I think there was just that one half chance in the first half where Salah gave it to him and he, he took a slightly heavy touch first up, but forced a low save. And, and then second half, of course, he was involved in that in that second goal with his cross leading to the defender inadvertently touching it straight to into Salah's path. But um, yeah, I, I think the big thing for me is I think there's obviously been a lot of talk in terms of the parallels with the Luis Diaz deal from from 12 months ago and, you know, people saying, you know, can he energise Liverpool in the same manner? And But I, I came away thinking it's a lot more difficult for a new boy to to make that kind of impact now. Because I just think Diaz had the luxury of walking into a dressing room absolutely full of belief. You know, Liverpool were a well, well-oiled machine functioning well in all departments. I think, you know, I think they'd lost two out of 34 in all competitions before Diaz arrived at the end of last January. In the middle of a nine-game winning streak, you know everything seemed possible, didn't it? Quadruple talk was gathering pace. Yet, you know what a contrast to to now in terms of the team is misfiring, and there are issues there. And that you know that was one of the reasons why you know he didn't get many sniffs of goal because the, you know he didn't have too much to feed on because Liverpool don't seem to be able to to keep possession and control games and grind opponents down like they were a year ago. So. Um, 
yeah, I think Gagpo needs to be cut some slack. But I, yeah, I, I thought there was enough there to come away. You know, he certainly won't go down as one of the great iconic Anfield debuts. But um, yeah, you can see he's got a lot of quality. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed what I what I saw from him. To be honest, just watching him, he's just so smooth and athletic, aesthetically really pleasing. And it looked like he he'd already got what Liverpool were trying to do. I mean, there was a couple of times just watching it where he was. He was sort of directing players into, into positions and, and I thought he linked quite well as well. But I, I just think I also enjoyed the contrast with, with Darwin Nunes, just in, in the way Gakpo went about it and that he was he had that calmness on the ball. He's really smooth with everything. And then you've got the madness of Nunes. Gakpo seems to know exactly what he wants to do with the ball. Nunes, I think, has about 12 options and then picks the maddest one. And he attempted about three overhead kicks or something <laughs> during the game. Um, but I think that it's a dynamic that you look at and think that, you know, it could really work if you've got those types of different styles and, and sort of meshing them all together. So, yeah, I, I thought I was really impressed with, with what what he saw. And I agree he did fade, but as, as James said, you, you would expect that from a player who, who hasn't had much footy and is still getting used to everything. Positionally, I thought he'll get better as well. And that's the key thing, isn't it? Because on the wing, it felt like he was drifting in, Gakpo, just sort of instinctively towards kind of what Darwin does as well. Know, the, the goal scorers aren't they? They want to drift in. I think the Liverpool definitely have noticed that and, and be watching it. And I think sometimes that can, you know, remove a little bit of width. As, as the game went on, I thought he was he was coming in a little bit too too far at times. But you know, he's a goal scorer. He wants to get in those positions, and that's what we'll see him do. I think there'll be some things for him to work on. But as Andy says and, and James, there, like he he just he looks great to watch already. Maybe not quite the Lewis Diaz effect where he, he ran on the pitch and he was just, you know, instantly a Liverpool player. But Gakpo is a Liverpool player and I think we'll, you know, slowly but surely start seeing some really good things from him. Yeah, I thought it was a really encouraging debut and there's plenty there that, you know, we, we're going to see from him in the coming weeks. So, yeah, I think there was there, there was some positives there on a night when uh, you have to strain yourself a little bit to look for positives. Anyway, this is Walk On, Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. The best word I can say but uh, will describe this was boom. Tony Evans here with James Pearce, Kiefer O'Neill and Andy Jones with the Walk On podcast from The Athletic. Right, let's talk about Mateus Nunes, his audition. James, what what did you make of him? I mean, you can play a bit, can't he? He certainly can. I thought it was a lively cameo. He, he, he looked like a player who probably felt like he had a, a bit of a point to prove against the team that he knows have been monitoring his progress closely. You know, Liverpool do have an interest there. I don't think there's anything guaranteed regarding the summer window, but I think, you know, it's and obviously you you wouldn't you wouldn't judge someone just based on one one appearance off the bench, but you know he certainly he improved Wolves when he came on, didn't he? And he, you know he had a for, you know for all the hype that surrounded his arrival from Sporting, he had a really slow start to the season. hasn't been able to 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 really make a a big impression at Molyneux. But you know I think in the last few weeks there's been more positive signs for him, and you could you could see that. You know there was that one moment when he you know he absolutely. Went past Thiago like he he wasn't even there, and he has got a bit of real kind of silk to him, and you can see why he is on Liverpool's radar. Whether it whether it goes into them actually firming that up for the summer, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, he was he was a thorn in Liverpool's side, certainly as 
as Wolves, you know, equalised and then and then threatened to actually dump Liverpool out of the competition. Andy, are Wolves the new Southampton, Liverpool's feeder club? And as Nunes got what takes to fit into that midfield, do you think? I really enjoyed sort of when I watched it back. I thought he was really impressive when he came on. And I, I watched him against Manchester United recently and again thought he was, he was really impressive. He seems to be going into that Premier League. He's got some you know, attributes of what Liverpool need in midfield. I mean, the way he sort of glided past Thiago and, and then sort of ran away from him. So I thought in a way sort of summed up Liverpool's midfield problems in in, in a sense in that I, I feel like Liverpool midfielders at the moment in, in because of this this age gap which we've talked about is you know you, you've had a lot you find you know the opposition run away from Liverpool's midfield if they get the wrong side of them rather than Liverpool midfield getting back in and, and being able to catch up with them. I think he's he's part of a midfield solution. Like, I think if you brought him in, I don't think he'd solve everything um, because I still don't quite know if, the, you know, that physicality side, has, has he got all that? You you do wonder, you know, if Liverpool are so, rate him so highly, why he didn't go for him straight away. But um, it's clear that Liverpool have an interest and he would fit in. I, I definitely, he's, he's certainly got the talent. He's, you know, on the ball, his, his ability to carry it and, 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 and spot a pass as well. So... Given Liverpool's situation and the fact that they're probably going to need to rebuild them midfield in terms of number of bodies as well as just what you know what the situation is in terms of trying to fix structurally, you could definitely see him as part of a, a remould and a remodel of, of a midfield. Yeah, Kiva, he looked to me more like a midfielder than, say, Carvalho, Elliot and Jones, who, who seem to be more forwards than midfield players. Yeah, they're in tricky spots, those players, because they are ones who like to get forward. You know, thinking about Harvey Elliott, he at times looks like a winger, but then also looks like a number 10, like a playmaker, and maybe not quite suited for what Liverpool need in the midfield at this current moment in time. In the future, that might change, obviously, in the very near future, it could, because, you know, what a talented player he is. The same goes for Fabio Carvalho and Curtis Jones, who I watched yesterday at, at Liverpool's Academy for the under-21s. He had 45 minutes, and, you know, actually to see him there was so impressive because you kind of forget how good he is when he's, you know, sometimes you you, you realise that in Premier League games or whatever else, but seeing him back at that level, which he's still young enough to play at, he doesn't turn 22 till the end of January. And seeing him there, just, you know, he was a cut above. He looked the best player on the pitch. I think there was maybe a couple of other players that were actually older than him on the, the other team, Tottenham. He just looked so good and I think it was probably good for him. I think he's had another little injury a slight injury, so he's working his way back. Obviously, Jurgen Klopp there to watch him do that. And then, yeah, I think looking at, at Nunes the night before at Anfield, when he come on for Wolves, I just felt like he brought control and that's what Liverpool are lacking. That's the main thing. He just assumed, you know, we were all looking, weren't we, at the bench, at the Wolves bench, which is a mad thing. We were looking at that, waiting for him to come on to, you know, for this Anfield audition and players like Darwin Nunes and, and others in the past have obviously had those chances to to impress at Anfield. And if you can win the, the Anfield crowd over and, you know, get fans behind you, which I think he did in that 33 minutes or whatever he was on the pitches, you know, uh, notice stats, 100% of his crosses completed, 80% passing accuracy, six out of seven duels won, three out of four dribbles completed, three out of three tackles, won a key pass. Like it, his performance had, you know, what what you'd want from any midfielder and, and top midfielders at that. So he, you can see exactly the reasons why Liverpool um, have him on the radar. Andy, you did a piece earlier on this week with uh, Mark Carey about Wayne Alden and what he brought to Liverpool, and you know, and obviously, and what they're missing now. 
I mean, I know it's we've said it an awful lot, but that's obviously the sort of player that the team needs. And, and Nunes isn't quite that, is he? It was interesting looking into the data, really, because it was sort of an idea of, with Liverpool's, as I mentioned before, that this, this sort of idea of a rebuild and what Wijnaldum bought in terms of mobility, physicality, and I think positional discipline are sort of the three, I would say, standouts that you would you would argue Liverpool's midfield are definitely missing. And I used a, I used a quote in, in there that Klopp said about, you know, it, Liverpool team was built on, on Wijnaldum's heart, but also sort of lungs, brain, stuff, legs. And it, it, Wijnaldum was all those three. Um, and it feels like Liverpool are missing that type of player. So we just sort of looked into who stylistically is similar to Wijnaldum. And it was quite interesting results, really, because... Um, there was only two really from this season, which were was Pedri from from Barcelona, who's obviously you know unattainable because you know it looks like he's going to probably spend his career at Barcelona. But the other one was Joe Willock, which I thought was really you know surprised me and was, was really interesting. Um, and I thought it was interesting sort of that that symmetry of of Wijnaldum was obviously a Newcastle player who came to Liverpool and isn't the biggest name and probably wouldn't get fans super excited. And, and Joe Willock, you know, would follow that same path if, if Liverpool went for him. Obviously, that's it's just a, a you know, looking at the data that that's who matches up. But um the, obviously the difference is they'd be they were buying Wild Album from a Newcastle team who uh, I think have been relegated, whereas Joe Willock's now a, a Champions League rival. But yeah, and then we just looked at sort of, you know, who the type of players you can bring that stability on the ball, but also that defensive, you know, bite. You know, there was loads. Bellingham was one who who was on that list. A couple of others there was you know, it enters Nicolo Barella and Ang- Angus Azadine Uwani, who played alongside uh, Sofi Amrabat, who obviously from Morocco in the World Cup, and obviously uh, Amrabat was, was linked with Liverpool a couple of weeks ago. Um, so thought that those were interesting, but it was just looking at, at that type of player because it's clear and obvious that that's the type of player Liverpool need. You need that athleticism. And, and the other one was we looked at was Moises Caicedo, who didn't quite count because he's more of a DM than a centre midfielder. But uh, Liam, Liam Tame was also part part of the piece and basically he said he's the perfect fit um, so go and buy him just can't say though, basically <laughs> James can they afford to wait until the summer to rebuild the midfield I mean the Champions League qualification is crucial and it is it, it's, it's looking as if it's going to be a, an uphill battle I, I don't think they can wait until the summer for a couple of reasons really I mean one as you just touched on there Tony you know we know how important Champions League qualification is for so many reasons, not least the the finances involved. I think it what was it worth hundred million pounds to the club last season on route to Paris. So to miss out on that would leave a sizable hole. And I think you miss out on the top four. You can wave goodbye to any hope of luring Duke Bellingham this summer. Aside from that, I just think if if you don't start addressing that midfield in this window and don't start that overhaul. And you're leaving yourself a hell of a lot of work to do in one window in the summer, because you know as we talked about previously, you've got that situation where Cater, uh, Oxley, Chamberlain, and Milner are all out of contract in the summer. What's Henderson thirty two, Thiago thirty one? You know, you know Liverpool do have a big issue where they don't have you know hardly any midfielders really in what you would class to be the peak years of their career, and and that has hurt them this season. And I think. You, know, you can kind of go overboard in terms of what they didn't address last summer because, you know, for all the criticism, I think we sometimes it's easy to overlook the fact that seven months ago, Liverpool nearly won the quadruple and and that midfield three on Saturday night was, was the, the first choice three and no one was moaning about 
you know, Fabino, Thiago Henderson, when, you know, but for Villa falling apart late on at, at the Etihad on the final day of the season, Liverpool would have won the Premier League. But for Thibaut Courtois having the game of his life in Paris, they would have won the Champions League. So you've got to keep things in perspective. You know, no one could have foreseen the drop-off in someone like Fabino this season. Same goes for, for Henderson. I thought, you know, I really hoped on the on, on the back of the World Cup, having had a really good positive experience with England, that he'd come back and really kick on. Yeah, I think he's really struggled as well. And we know how influential Henderson can be when when he's at his best. And, you know, and then Thiago, who for the most part has been probably one of the better performers in that misfiring department, but he was way off it. So um, for me, they, they can't wait to the summer because for, 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 lo- for those, those variety of reasons, there's too much still at stake. I mean, I, one of the other things I came away from Anfield thinking on Saturday night was we got Real Madrid in six weeks. To me, that's quite a scary prospect at the moment. When when you're seeing effectively a second string Wolves team carve through like they did so often on Saturday night, you think, what would Real, Real Madrid do to Liverpool at the minute? Yeah, I hide behind the couch any time I hear the words Real Madrid. It's that bad. You know, we're, we're just not looking forward to that. However, however, when Liverpool are in Europe, you never know what you're going to get. I, I, the one thing, you know, obviously part of the fan base are not for Kiva, and it's always, they point the finger at Boston, they point the finger at Fenway. But it is, is that deflecting a little bit? Have some of these problems mounted because of what's been happening in Kirby, by, by what's been happening on Merseyside, by basically... The, the, the people who are there day to day, who, you know, you, you, the analytics department has got uh, a great reputation. But shouldn't the stats have pointed to the drop off at some point of players and things like that? And also, common sense, they're getting old. Yeah, I think they're getting old one as a point. I think this team is just in that transition now from an aging squad into a young one. There's kind of a, you just have to look at the midfield to see the gap from like Harvey Elliott, Fabio Carvalho, Curtis Jones to. Thiago Henderson and the rest of them, Fabinho's getting older, obviously Milner. You, know, you could go through the list and I think that is the point that I remember at the start of the season, I did a piece about Liverpool's agent squad, which you know now feels very fit and looking back ahead of the curve a little bit there on, on it. But I think what stood out was actually going through each season and seeing how Arsenal went from an agent squad to a young squad, which they've got now. Now they're really sort of, you know, hitting that that start of that peak, really, aren't they? What we're seeing from them in the Premier League. And it was really noticeable in the early weeks of the season when I put that together. The, you know, every season I clicked on, Arsenal were sort of surpassing Liverpool, Liverpool getting older, Arsenal getting younger. That was just one of the things that stood out. And another thing I think about a lot is Pep Guardiola's comments. And I can't remember when he made them, but he sort of said, you can't, you can't win it again with the same sort of group of players. And that's why, obviously, we know the, you know, the funds at his disposal and that kind of thing. But I think, you know, that's why he does change it up at City and make sure that, you know, you are changing. Because I think when players have, you know, put everything in, like this Liverpool team, the, you know, the core of this squad have, and, you know, I've won it all under Jürgen Klopp, you do need to keep it fresh. And I think the midfield is why we're talking about it so much is such a key part 
of the team, isn't it? It's, you know, you're linked to the front and, and the back as well. And it does so much in, you know, facilitating the attack as much as it does to shield the defence. It's so important. It's integral. And it just feels like that 63-game season was like that one maybe last hurrah. We're hoping that it won't be. And, we, you know, we keep seeing things that tell us it might not be. And then we see things that tell us it will be. And, you know, I just think fresh legs in this team is is definitely much needed. Without a doubt, without a doubt, I agree 100%. You're listening to Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. In towards Gerard. Oh. This is Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic, with me, Tony Evans, James Pearce, Kiefer O'Neill and Andy Jones. James, you wrote a brilliant piece on Jerome Sinclair uh, last week, and about, you know, the youngest player to play for Liverpool. Um, now he's running a, a chicken takeaway in Birmingham. I mean, it's a remarkable story. So many people had so, so high hopes for him, and... It all went wrong. What was it like doing that piece? Yeah, it was um, been in the pipeline for quite a while, really, because it, you know you, you're always trying to think of of players from the not too de- uh, distant past who have, have maybe been you know tipped for a, a big future, and then you kind of think, well, whatever happened to him, and and, and try and find out. And you know, I'd, I'd spoken to, a, done a few interviews with players who had played in that same generation as him. At, coming through at Liverpool and, and no one really seemed to know what he was up to. And the more people I spoke to, the more confusing it was in terms of well, what, what actually is he doing? Because he, you know, he, his contract expired at Watford 18 months ago and he hasn't had a club since. Still only 26. Brendan Rodgers famously handed him his debut off the bench in that League Cup tie at West Brom. I think he was six days past his 16th birthday. And that, you know, that claim to fame as Liverpool's youngest ever player still remains to this day. You know, I spoke to probably 20-odd ex-teammates and staff and coaches that have worked with him at all the various clubs since. And, you know, the, the thing that struck me was it, it's not a story of someone with a, a bad attitude or a poor work ethic who who kind of wasted their talent. Just quite sad, really, in terms of someone, I think, who, you know, was, was dogged by misfortune in terms of injuries. I also th- think there was some really bad advice from people around him along the way, which led to making poor decisions. Jerome himself didn't want to contribute towards it, but I, I got the impression from speaking to people who do know him that just fallen out of love with football in many ways. And you can kind of understand why when you look at how things are gone, because 
you know, he was frustrated that he hadn't had more of a look in at Liverpool. So he left in, in 2016 and went to Watford. And you think at the time I thought that was a strange choice of club because, you know, the, you, you know, the, I think, I think Watford during his five-year contract had eight different, eight or nine different managers. You know, it's, what chance have you got with something like that? So only started five competitive games for Watford in all comps in five years and, and got loaned out all over the place with varying degrees of success. And you know, he, he went to Oxford where he actually had a bit of an upturn in fortunes in League One under Carl Robinson, um, who of course used to be a Liverpool youth coach himself, but then decided to go to Holland and played for Venlo, which was a struggling team in the Dutch top flight and didn't score during a whole season with them before the the pandemic cut that campaign short. Last July, he spent pre-season with Oxford and was obviously trying to get back into football. But Carl Robinson said, unfortunately, you know, after a year out of it, you know, he wasn't in good enough shape and was just too far behind the other boys to, to lead to a permanent contract offer. I, you know, I think as Carl Robinson said himself in one of the quotes in the piece, you know, he, he said, you know, I just want Jerome Sinclair to be happy. And if that means getting back into football, then, then let's hope he finds a pathway back into it because he's still young enough. Or maybe he's found happiness away from it because um, he's an intelligent guy. You know, Frank McParland, who was Liverpool's academy director when he was there. So, he, you know, he was a straight A student at Rainhill School. Um, you know, he, despite, you know, he could have ended his studies after his GCSEs, but he didn't. He he stayed on and did an A-level in business studies. You know, I, I was told by a few people he's invested his money wisely, including you know, he's the owner of this this fried chicken place in, in Birmingham. So, yeah, maybe, maybe he's decided that, He's closed that chapter, but um, yeah, I think it's just a, a cautionary tale, isn't it? We've, you know, we, of um, you know, you might have the world at your feet at sixteen, seventeen, but there's a there's a lot of obstacles that get that can get placed in in a young footballer's path. Listen, people. One of the reasons you should subscribe to The Athletic, not only because it's got the best coverage of Liverpool anywhere, but pieces like this, a fantastic piece. There's so much that can go wrong in a young footballer's career, isn't there, Kiva? It's not only just about what you do on the pitch. You make a bad decision with you know, who represents you. You make a bad decision, a club to move to, and suddenly you might have all the talent in the world and you've gone down a blind alley. Yeah, I was thinking about this a little bit being at the academy this weekend for the under-18s and the under-21s games and the under-16s were on another pitch and, you know, you see all the parents at the sidelines and agents and scouts and different things and it's such a busy life for them just at that young age. There's so much attention on them and so much that they have to do and obviously alongside school as well. I think, you know, it is... You know, every kid who's at Liverpool and any other academy in the country is the dream to become a professional footballer. Now, you know, we know and they probably are already aware how difficult that is. And I think, you know, Jerome's story is is one of many where footballers have, you know, come onto the scene and, and there's been high hopes for them and then it hasn't quite gone the way that they'd hoped and others had hoped as well. It is such a difficult thing to become a professional footballer and I think that's why... You know, it's important at academy levels to be open on that and to be, you know, to find other things that, you know, these these young players enjoy outside the football as well. And, you know, to focus on their education and different things. And it is hard. It's such a it is a cutthroat industry, isn't it? And, you know, the dreams can just be torn up right in front of them, whether that's, you know, with a bad decision, a bad move or, you know, an injury or something like that. And I think, you know, it is really, really hard to, to make it in football. And I think we have to be aware of that when we're, you know, watching these young players pursue the dreams that it isn't, doesn't all, they don't always reach them, you know, but they're trying and, 
I think, you know, it's it, that's that's the main thing, isn't it? As long as, like James mentioned there, if a happy life, I think, for, for anyone is a good thing. So to be happy in life is is the key, isn't it? And whether that's in football or out of football, you have to find happiness. Apart from a very few, you know, like Steven Gerrard, um, the, the reality is you can't tell which the which way it's going to go, even when they break into the first team and you think, oh, yeah, you know, they're playing in the first team. The distance, the, the journey between getting into the team and actually establishing yourself in the Premier League is the hardest part of the whole, you know, the, the, the whole football life, really, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, it is. You know, it's it is so difficult. It's it's sort of that one in a you know one in a million type thing, isn't it? That there will be a certain few, and I think you know, play. Everyone wants to be the next Gerard. Everyone wants to be the next Trent. I mean, Curtis Jones, in a way, is, is sort of even experienced that a little bit, and that he's he's still trying to establish himself, even though he's been around, in and around the first team, you know, and he is one of so few who even you know gets that opportunity itself. So. It's it's such a it's such a difficult industry to to break into, especially at this level. You know, Liverpool are one of the top teams in England, top teams in the world. So you, you know, the bar is even higher than it than it is at you know at, at certain clubs and, and other academies. So yeah, it's it's just so difficult for for young players, and 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 that is the problem. You you want to be the next Trent, or you're the next Gerrard, but it's so so difficult to do that. And then when you've got so much noise around you, which you know the way the work, you know football's gone now. It's it's just so many people in you know say you know with opinions and and trying to give you theirs and trying to advise you and and some of that advice is good, you know some of it is not and and that's the problem and and you get the case where players want too much too soon and think they should be here when they're not you know they're not ready and and then as you say, not only just trying to break in and get that debut and try and be in and around the squad, you've then got to try and establish yourself against. Especially, you know, when Liverpool have got the ability to go and buy a Gapo, for example, um, you know, can go out and, and buy all these these top top quality players. You, you're not only fighting to just get noticed, you're then fighting against these huge these players who've come in for huge fees and you know, with you know, expecting to start and you know, have got so much quality that it is, yeah, as you say, it's it's so so difficult to to go through those stages and there's so many of those stages. You were mates of uh, Anthony Robinson, aren't you, Dan? Didn't you play yes. football with him? You played for Fulham. Yeah, I did back back in the day. Yeah, I used to um, I used to train with his, his dad. Um, did like this Galacticos coaching. Um, so I sort of I've, I've always followed Jedi's journey because I you know trained with him a little bit for a couple of years. Um, when he was just he just got into Everton, so he was still sort of you know finding his way. And and, and that's that's an example of someone who couldn't quite make it at Everton. Um, I'm sure what sure wanted to, but has had to go through various paths, you know, Wigan and then and then Fulham and then found his way to, to the Premier League and now he's you know he's he's a World Cup, you know he's played in the World Cup, which is you know there's so many different ways these journeys can go and and he's he's a success story. One of his teammates at the, at the Everett Academy was a lad called Arlen Birch who you know had to retire at 24 because of a, a condition he had with with his uh, with his feet. And he's he was playing at sort of lower league level. He'd been at Burnley um, for for a couple of years, and I would interview them. And you know, it's just so many things can happen in a, in a player's career that can can take it one way, like you know, like Jedi's can, or it can take it another, and like like Sinclair, and and then you can, you know, it's just such a lottery, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's one of those things that you should take into account when you're giving young players the stick. You know, it's a, and it's natural. You know, we all get annoyed, we all get upset, but you know the the, the journey they're on, and they want to be successful. You know, they're not playing badly. I was a spite. You know, it's um. So yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's sad when you see stories like Jerome Sinclair, but it does make you appreciate the ones who do get through and make it to the highest level. You know, people like Trent, who's you know remarkable. But on the subject of teenagers playing for Liverpool, uh, you know, let's pick a five-a-side team. We like to pick five-a-side teams on the walk-on podcast. So let's pick a five-a-side team of Liverpool teenagers. Um, Kiva, who would you... Who would be the first name that you put down? I mean, this is obvious, isn't it? Uh, Jamie Carragher, actually. So was that what you were thinking as well? No, probably not. But actually, it's a very, very good choice. Right, so I'm going with the, you know, maybe no goalkeeper and just like a one-touch finish kind of five-a-side team. Uh, so got to have Carragher in there. That would be a laugh. Um, and then I was thinking about like some of the best players that Liverpool's academy have produced and, you know, Steven Gerrard is the obvious one. Gerard Hegem is not going to play any further part and a youngster who's never even featured on the team sheet before is going to be given this opportunity for Liverpool, promoted from the youth side. Fresh-faced teenager Stephen Gerrard. How could you not want him in your five-a-side team? So he's in there. I think you know when Trent's career is you know been and gone. I think we'll look at him as one of the best ever Liverpool players, one of the best ever academy products. So he's in there as well, a little bit further forward in the midfield. Where I know a lot of people want to want to see him at the minute. And then I've gone for Michael Owen up front because for me, a teenage player. I mean. He, one of the best ever in the world as a teenager and obviously his career sort of went on and he never quite reached maybe the heights of his early career but yet when he burst onto the scene there wasn't wasn't a player quite like him and then I think I've sort of looked around a little bit but I just feel like you want Robbie Fowler in there just one touch finish. Yeah, Robbie would be Robbie's perfect for five aside. I wouldn't have Michael Owen personally because there's no space to run behind them you know it's um, James would you pick anyone differently? No, I think I would pretty much agree with all that. The only like, I was trying to think of real gifted teenagers that you know talking about the midfield. I'd maybe you could, there's maybe an argument for a young Jamie Redknapp in there. I think back to when he when he first came to Liverpool and the the impact he made, and um, obviously he was a player who you know injuries dogged the the, the latter part of his career, but you know immensely. Naturally gifted. I think he was, was he the last signing of Kenny? I think first time around. And then it was obviously Sooners who, um, you know, who kind of benefited from from having his, his talent. But yeah, he'd be one I'd throw into the mix. Andy, what were your thoughts on this? I would have gone for a goalie because, well, I wasn't sure whether to put Carrigan in. Um, You're so defensive. So who needs a goalie? Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't quite sure, but that's because hold I wasn't. Your nerve, hold your nerve, Andy. <laughs> it was because I was going to put sense as my defender, and I was like, he's obviously more attack-minded. So it was like, forget as many attacking players on the pitch, and then I've got to make sure I've got a goalie to sort of just keep out the opposition. So I was going to go with with Clements just because I feel like I need it. But then equally, I was toying with Carragher because I just think him in a five-a-side cage. I just don't think the opposition are getting out of there with a, a full team. Um, <laughs> so you're probably going to find yourself in an advantage at some point because someone's someone's getting thrown into a wall or getting getting two-footed and it's being carried off the pitch. So, yeah, I, I'd personally go with the goalie and then go to St. Gerard. 
Owen Farler, probably. But I am, I'm more than happy for Carragher to sort of be this weird, you know, hybrid goalie who just sort of <laughs> takes everyone out before they're going to shoot. <laughs> if you try, if you tried to put Carragher in goal, he'd, he'd, he'd rip your head off. Well, you know, he wouldn't one of be them. in goal. He'd be like, he'd basically be there to foul people before they shoot. So he would take the legs out before they get the shot off, so it'd be sound. And I'll tell you the other thing is, Ray Clements always used to play as an outfield at, at Melwood in training, and he, he was very good by all accounts, and yeah, a, a good goalkeeper, could play play out. But I have to say, I think there's a case for McManaman and something like this. You know, he, his control, he was so tricky at his best. You know, he was he was absolutely brilliant. Um, or, again, you know, Raheem Sterling, imagine in the, those enclosed spaces and running at you, you know, the way he does that thing where he puts his hands up and you don't know which way he's going, you know, and we don't want to praise him because he plays for someone else, especially Chelsea. But, you know, he is a fantastic player. I mean, the reality is we've had a lot of great teenagers playing for the club and um, and we've been lucky to see them. Again, you know, so to, on the list, Ian Callaghan, actually, he'd be too nice for five-a-sides, wouldn't he? You know, Callaghan, he got booked once and um, and that was that was an outrage, really. That was in his last game, wasn't it? But, like, um, no, he's, he's just too nice a person for this. You need a bit of spite in these sort of games. You know, they, they play them in cages now for a reason. And let's face it, you know, uh, you throw Carrer in there. Yes, he needs to be caged when he's got that competitive mood on. So, you know, it's... Um, I'm a huge fan of that. Thanks to James, Kiva, Andy, and all you listeners for joining in. The Athletic has the best Liverpool writing, so take advantage of the latest offer. All you need to do is head over to theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod and sign up there. You won't regret it. The Athletic. 